Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Yes, what a privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And yeah, I, uh, I'm... I'm uh... I'm really moved by this um, by this message. I um, every time I, I go through it, I, I practice it a few times before I deliver it, and I kind of like preach to myself, and I'm like, oh wow, wow. And, and it's not that there's anything special that that has been written over here, but just how how Christ has made such a significant impact in so many people's lives. And, uh, and especially the person I'm, I'm going to touch today on and the life that she lived and how many lives she impacted because of Christ in her life. And so I, I hope you're going to be as blessed as I am every time I preach to myself when I, when I go through my message. All right, guys, so, um, so as Lynn said, that we're in our Easter series right now. Uh, we're discussing Easter people. And so it's, it's people that had an influential role throughout the Easter period, right? So... Easter is the defining aspect of our faith, Christ on the cross, and of course, His burial, and, in, and more importantly, His resurrection. And so for me, this, this, uh, this message uh, is, is uh, and, and all the messages that will follow in the series will be from people's perspectives on how they experienced Christ throughout that whole period, through the time in the Garden of Gethsemane, when He was beaten, when he was crucified, when he was placed into the, uh, into the grave, and when he was resurrected. Everyone's perspective on how Christ touched their lives throughout all those different areas within the Easter period. So as Lynn said that, I'm going to start off with Mary. So it's not uh, Jesus' mother, Mary, so that's also a Mary. But this is Mary Magdalene, who uh, Jesus cast seven demons out of. So this month uh, has been the month of International Women's Day. It was celebrated on the, uh, the 8th of March, all right? So just celebrating all the women out there. And actually, I want to dedicate this message to every single woman in this congregation. Every woman in this congregation, you guys do an incredible job of making this church a reality. And I just want to thank you. Thank you for the incredible work that you do. And so this message, I really want to dedicate to the ladies. So a big shout out to the ladies out there. We're doing an amazing job. Yeah, come on. Woohoo! All right. Come on. Give your hands, uh, put your hands together. And um, yeah, they celebrated a, a woman's brunch yesterday, and uh, Christelle and the ladies and had a wonderful time. I, yeah, I just heard amazing things, and yeah, I would have loved to have been there. I heard color, you were there, apparently. Hey, I was like, yeah, beginning, yeah. I was like, oh, man, you made me a bit jealous there. Oh, I'd love to have been there. It's great. The food looked amazing. All right, so um, the title of my message is The Show Must Go On. The Show Must Go On. And it's a phrase that originates out of the circus, all right? It, you know, often people in the circus get hurt because of doing some really crazy things. So has anyone been to a circus before? A circus event, maybe as a child, maybe recently with your children, all right? So a couple of people been to circuses. You've seen kind of the crazy things that happen over there. Trapeze artists, people juggling flames, uh, lions jumping through hoops. You know, there's some, I mean, there's some, there's some dangerous things that go on there. And people sometimes get hurt. And so the, the spirit amongst these performers that if someone did get hurt, if there was a setback, 
they would continue to do for what they showed up for to do. So they never said, hey, all right, someone got hurt. Okay, well, let's stop the show. And, and there was the spirit amongst them of like, hey, you know, even if someone gets hurt along the way, we showed up to do something over here. The show must go on. So just shake someone next to you and say, the show must go on. Don't shake them off the chair, Joe. Uh, keep your family on the chair. The show must go on. All right. The show must go on. And I want to show you today that in that spirit is at the heart of what happened on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And especially if we look at the first Easter person, Mary Magdalene, she had a significant role to play. Turn to, uh, with me in your Bibles this morning. We're going to start off reading out of Mark 16, verses 1 to 7. If you have digital Bibles or your paperback, and the words will be on the screen behind me as well too. All right, so let's read. All right, so when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they may go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on the way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who's going to roll away the stone from the tomb? Interesting. <laughs> I'm thinking like planning. Like you're going to go there, you're going to spice his body. How are we going to roll away that stone? That would have been my, you know, engineering mind and, you know, just thinking, how, how is that going to happen? Right, but anyway, so they looked and they saw that the stone was, was very large and it had been rolled away. At the entrance of the tomb, they saw a young man standing dressed in a white robe, sitting at the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. And this man said, he has risen. Everyone say, he has risen. He has risen. All right. Uh, he's not here. See the place where he laid but go, tell his disciples and Peter, interesting that he said that, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as I told you. Let's take a moment and let's just pray before we get started. Father, I want to pray, Lord, that you will anoint my words this morning. I pray, Father, that you will open up hearts, ears, and minds this morning to everything that you have to say. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will bless me right now as I bring your message to your Incredible people, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this is the greatest show that took place. This is the greatest show that took place. And so apologies to the circus. I know there's amazing shows that take place there. But this, there's been no greater show than the resurrection from the dead. The cornerstone of our salvation, our, of the cornerstone of our faith, everything that defines our faith, defines our salvation, our salvation, it's our hope that takes us to the grave. This, this resurrection, this, this, this notion of that Christ is alive. He's not in the grave anymore. He is alive. It is our victory. And this is the greatest show. And I, I apologize if you guys may be slightly offended if you, if you, if you, if you find that I'm calling this show, this great event, a, a, a show, and you might say, well, the show, Matthew's show is fake and it's, it's entertainment. But if you go into the dictionary and you go have a look at what does that word, in fact, mean? It means a display. And more so, my favorite word from the definition of, of a show is, in fact, a public spectacle. Right? Go, go look at Webster Dictionary, Oxford, go and find it there. And it says a public spectacle. A public spectacle took place. And so Paul literally said that when Christ rode, there was a spectacle that took place, not only in earth, uh, on, on earth and in heaven, 
um, and, uh, and also the corridors of eternity. But I'm sure it also reverberated into the, into the quarters of hell as well too. When Jesus stood up and what a spectacle it was. What, a, what an incredible event. Like the, you know, the, the, the Christ of this world stood up from death. You know, people thought, okay, that was the end of it. He was, went to the grave and, and that was the end of it. But he stood up. What a spectacle. The devil thought that he had defeated Jesus, nailing him to the cross. But in fact, he was taking his own, uh, those, those nails were in fact nailing him into his own coffin. And so when Jesus rode for the dead, he stripped the demonic powers uh, and stripped the devil of his authority and, and, and his honor and dragged him naked and bound and was parading with him in victory. This is the greatest show. Jesus raised from the dead. The display of power, the spectacle of the enemy where he thought he was taking us to the grave with him when Jesus was nailed to the cross. But in fact, Jesus, when he rose from the dead again, he grabbed us from the grips of death and pulled us out along with him, grabbing us from sin, nursed us back to health and giving us life again. And so that really is what the, the, the Christ raised from the dead is all about. And guess what? For this show, Mary had a front row seat. She had a front row seat. Who's been to a show or a theater, and you know that those front row seats are normally the most expensive, right? Do, do, do you agree? Why, why is that? You know, like you, if you go to a show and a concert, they normally have like this cornered off green area. I can't remember exactly what the real name is, but there's like this, this area, this zone where you pay like twice the amount for the tickets, right? The front row seats are the most engaging. It's the most like, you know, these guys in the front of here, they get, they get the real show, man. Come on. <laughs> no, there's a show happening over here. But it's, it, is, it is that whole, that whole picture of the front row seat that Mary had. And she had this front row seat encountering Jesus when she saw him for the first time being raised. Let's continue to read Mark 16, verses 8 to 9. It says, The woman fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. They said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw Jesus was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he cast seven, seven demons. Mary got a front row seat. Just think about that, guys. This is incredible. Christ of this world, one who died for us, she was the very first person to see Jesus raised from the dead. And what, I want you, and what I want to do is talk about why, all right, and how she got to be the first person to see Jesus raised from the dead. How and why? How and why? You could have thought to yourself, well, well Mary kind of found herself in, in the right place at the right time. It was just coincidental. She, oh, lucky, lucky Mary, you know. She was like one of those lucky ones. She just kind of happened to, to be there at the right place at the right time. And, um, and it kind of seemed like, oh, wow, she might have, you know, just was just, she was just lucky. You know, it could have been one of the other disciples that arrived there. But, you know, she was just the, the fortunate one. It was just coincidence that it happened. And I want to show you through my message today that that is not true. That is not true. She is not lucky. But in fact, because the fact that she had the, uh, the front, she had the front row seat because she lived a faithful life that led to this incredible event to be the, be the privileged one to see Jesus for the first time being raised from the dead. She lived a faithful life. 
And so more importantly, I can, you know, many times we go through life trying to analyze the, the things that are going wrong in our life as to why they're going right or analyze our faults. And you know, Christelle says to me, Matthew, why do you keep pointing out my faults the whole time? And I, and I do that, and I, and I realize that, uh, you know, that's, that's something I'm working on. And, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I need to look at the plank in my own eye first before I look at the splinter in hers. Um, and so I realized that, hey, man, I, you know, there's, there's some things to fix about me. And I, and I, I don't realize that. And um, so it's many times we try and analyze the things that are wrong with our, in, within our lives. And the mistake that we make is that we don't, we don't always focus on the things that actually went right. We're like, come, let's, let's do an autopsy of the things that actually went right. Why? Why did things actually go well in your life? Why did you succeed at doing something? Why did something go so well? And why was Mary the first person to see Jesus Christ? Why was she the privileged one? Why was it that she was the one that was selected to be the first one to see Christ? Why did she have the front row seat? Why did she have the front row seat? So let's, let's delve a little bit into that. And so, um, so you don't get automatic uh, repeat of a victory unless you understand what you did right. So she was living the success story, right? So she encountered an angel, right? Not, not many of us, that's why I have before, not many of us have seen angels. And those that have seen an angel, if you look at what happened to those people's lives, let's take Mary, you know, Jesus' mother, you know, what happened? You know, there's many of these incredible um, stories that come as a consequence of, of, of people meeting an angel. And, and Mary's life was, was, was uh, no exception to that. So you've got to go and see, like, okay, well, how did she get there? How did she get to be on, those, on that front row seat of this great spectacle that took place? And for that, we need to go back to, to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, uh, if, again, if you've got your Bibles with me, uh, with you, sorry, not with me, because then you wouldn't be able to read what I'm about to read. But if you've got your Bibles with you, open it up, and you've got your app, open that up as well too, words on the screen behind me as well. All right, so soon after Jesus began his tour uh, <clears throat> of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God, he took his 12 disciples along with him, and along with, with him some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, all right, so note that. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he cast out seven demons, Johanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Right, so Mary Magdalene was sometimes called, um, she was called the one of, um, of the examples of pure devotion in the entire Bible. She was called to pure devotion in the entire Bible. All right, so again, she, her story originates out of humble beginnings. Humble beginnings, you know, excuse me, in order to be able to achieve what she did by being selected as, as being on that front row seat, there, was, there had to be some kind of humble beginning to her life. And again, as, as mentioned in, in Luke chapter 8, um, that she, she started off by Jesus recognizing her uh, getting rid of those demons, you know, and she's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this man. I'm going to follow this man. So how, how did that work? How, how did this whole thing work where Jesus had a, a 12 disciples, he had, his, uh, had these women that were following him, supporting his ministry? 
And so when we think about Jesus' support squad, right? So if you think about his support squad, who, who is his support squad? So immediately, the first people that come to mind are those 12 male disciples. You think, hey man, that, that was his support squad. And yes, they were with him. They were, they were walking with him. They were preaching with him. They were, they were performing miracles with him. But again, Jesus knew that he couldn't do it alone. He could not do it alone. And so a hallmark, uh, a hallmark um, mark of a, of a courageous leader is to empower those around them so that, they, that those who are, who are talented, that are gifted, can walk in those areas of gifting. And so Jesus knew this. Hey, let's surround myself with people that, that I believe, yeah, that I need to empower, that I need to have walk in their, their, uh, their giftings. And so Jesus was doing this amazing thing. He, he surrounded himself with a team. He surrounded himself with 12 people, um, these 12 disciples. And, and this, is, this is how he did it. But he never, he didn't do it alone. So if you read again in verses 2 over there, it said, along, <clears throat> along with the 12 disciples were some women that were cured of evil spirits. And among them was Mary, Salome, and Johanna, uh, and, and, and a number of others. And what did they do? It says in verse 3, and they supplied Jesus out of the, their abundance, out of their substance. They supported Jesus along the way. And so we tend to think of Jesus when we think, of him, we think about the actual boots on the ground, right? We think about those guys who were doing the, the hard work of ministry. But meantime, back at the ranch, we had these women that were doing an incredible work as well too, supporting Jesus, making sure that Jesus and his disciples had enough to be able to remain focused on the ministry. That, that, was, that was her work. And so, so out of the, the gospel of Luke, he's, he's also been called the gospel of womanhood as well too because he brought attention to these amazing women and what they did, how they served God powerfully, and how they supported Jesus and the disciples in their ministry. And so, again, let's not forget about what Susanna, Mary, uh, the uh, Johanna, and, and all of these women did to be able to make sure that Jesus' ministry was a success, and they, they devoted themselves to making sure that it was a success. And so for Mary, again, this wasn't a, a, a fluke, you know, it wasn't an accident that it happened that she met Jesus at the grave for the very first time. It wasn't an accident, and again, it was an very important part of, of the story of Christ, an important story of her life. And again, she started off in, in humble beginnings. She started off rock bottom, and Jesus touched her life, changed it radically, converting her from where she was. So she was... Again, she, she was doing what she was always doing from before, her regular job after Jesus touched her life, right? She just continued to do it. I'm going I'm to share a little bit of, of, of why and how she was doing that. She just continued to serve in the same or doing the same thing she was doing after Jesus touched her life. But instead of doing it for herself, she started doing it for Christ and his followers. She was gifted, she was a very gifted person, I'm going to go into seven points now in a moment as to why she was gifted and how she did all of that. So for that, we're going to have to go to John 20, verses 1 to 18. I'm not going to read everything. But John is one of the disciples of Jesus, and he was um, an a individual who expanded a bit more, shared a bit more in-depth. He was more poetic in his, in his, in his behavior, and, and as you read his writings as well, too, he filled in the blanks a lot more. He helped us not use our imagination as much as some of the other disciples did in the other books. And uh, he also referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. 
right? He speaks, he speaks by himself in this third person, a disciple that Jesus loved. And, and, and uh, the, the book of, of Luke was, was written a lot from the perspective of, of Peter. So Peter would have dictated to, to Luke. And, you know, Peter was like this all-out type of guy. He was out there, and he, was, he, kind, of, he kind of filled the space. He, you know, he was like this guy that, you know, you, you knew he was in the building. You know, he knew he had like this, this atmosphere around him. He was kind of this loud guy and just came there, and he was just like bombastic sometimes. And, and just like, hey, man, he, he really filled the space. But John, John was more of like a bit more of a cautious guy, a little bit more reserved. And so John would, would write in that way. Uh, and you will reflect and see as I'm about to read in his gospel. So let's read John 20, verses 11 to 18, those, those seven verses. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and she wept. She stooped and, and looked in. in. She, she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord. She replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. If you have taken him away, at, uh, sorry, who, uh, who are you looking for? He, uh, she, he said, she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him. And I will go out and get him. Like Mary's like this bodybuilder, right? You know, go and just go and find him and, and pick him up. I mean, that's incredible. That's Mary's spirit. She's like, tell me where he is and I'm going to go and find him. And I will go and get him. That's Mary's attitude and her disposition in, in her love for Christ. And Jesus said, she turned to him and cried. And so, um, sorry, now I lost myself. And, and Jesus said, Mary. And she turned to him and called out, Rabbanai. Which means Hebrew, uh, which means teacher in Hebrew. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to my Father, but go out uh, and find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have found and seen the Lord. She gave this message to them. She gave this message to them. So Mary, got out, uh, so, so Mary got to be the one to tell the world for the very first time that Jesus is alive. Long before that Billy Graham did, before Billy Sunday, uh, D.L. Moody, before even Paul started writing his epistles, she was the first one to tell the world or to announce it from her lips that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And so I'm going to highlight seven things from Mary from Mary's life that allowed her to have this front row seat, who allowed her, that gave her the privilege to be the very first person in this world to be able to announce to the world that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. So I kind of picked seven of these areas that I want to highlight for the seven demons that she had. So let's attribute it to that of her being delivered from those seven demons. All right, so First point is that she showed gratitude. She showed gratitude. And so the num this is the number one area. And you would show gratitude as well too if you were delivered from seven demons, right? You've been tormented for, for many years and you had uh, all these things inside of you. She showed gratitude. And so Satan came there to try and steal, kill, and destroy Mary's life, and she said, and she was at a dark place, man. She, she was really at a dark place in her life. 
And so Jesus touched her. He uh, touched her life. He found her. He sought after her. He support, uh, she, uh, to, to support, uh, sorry, um, and, and healed her and found meaning in her life when, when Jesus touched her life. He pulled her out of this place of darkness. Pulled her out of this place of darkness. And so when Jesus touched her life, she could only but be thankful in serving Jesus in the only way that she could was by serving his ministry with her resources. That's what she was doing. You know, I'm going to get to that in a moment, but this is what she used to do. She was wealthy, man. She was wealthy. And she said, hey, I'm, I'm going I'm to support you, Jesus. I'm going to support you, you and your disciples in this ministry. And so um, it's important to understand that you know, grateful people always seek to be a blessing. Gratitude is never silent. Gratitude is never silent. It's never invisible. You might be saying, oh, Matthew, well, I'm, I'm, grat- I'm grateful on the inside. No, man. If you're going to be grateful, speak up. If you're going to be grateful, show up. If you're going to be grateful, stand up. Take a practical step in showing that you're grateful that Jesus saved you from yourself. She didn't just say, hey, thanks, Jesus, and went on her way. She said, thank you, Jesus, for delivering me. How can I help you? How can I help you? How, how can I be of help to you in your ministry? How can I, yeah, there was obviously needs in your ministry, Jesus. The gospel's not free, she was saying. I've got resources. I've got gifts. I've got blessings. I've got salvation. I have money. I, I, you know, I couldn't save myself, but you saved me. How can I help you, Jesus? How can I support you? How can I supply? That's gratitude in action. She was an action woman. She was action orientated. Jesus in the, in the uh, Luke 17, it's not, I don't have the scriptures, but Jesus healed 10 lepers outside of the city. Nine of them went their way, only one came back and thanked Jesus. And he asked this question, didn't I? Didn't I heal 10 of you? Why is there only one that has come back? Mary showed gratitude. She showed gratitude for what Jesus did in her life. Mary wasn't one of those nine. She wasn't one of the nine that just went off. She showed up and she kept coming back, coming back all the time she was there serving, continuing supporting Jesus. Spices weren't free, was one of the most expensive commodities at that time. But she came to the grave wanting to spice Jesus' life. The, uh, the, um, the, the, uh, the mummy that was lying there, she wanted to spice his body. It was one of the things that was done in those times. You kind of wrapped the, the dead in, in, in uh, <clears throat> embalmed them with cloth and spices. It's kind of what you did. But she was like, no, man, those guys that wrapped Jesus, they didn't do a good job. I want to come there and I want to wrap him properly. I want to spice him. And that was her heart. She did that because she loved Jesus, she was grateful for what he did for her. She was grateful, and she had it all over her life. You could see it in her entire life. Second point, she showed resilience. She showed resilience. Going through something like she did, being demon-possessed, being at a very, very dark place, it was easy to be defined by that. You could easily be defined by that. Easy to go through your whole life talking about what she went through. 
Hey, man, I mean, being possessed by seven demons is no small thing. She could have been defined by, oh, I was a possessed individual. Oh, my life. Oh, my life. And hey, guys, I know you, you probably have met many people that kind of get into this rut, this hamster wheel discussion. Oh, my life. Oh, my life. Having this victim mentality. But no, man, not Mary. Mary was like, she was delivered from those seven demons. And she said, I am not going to be a victim. I am going to walk out my victory in Jesus Christ. Can we get an amen? Come on. All right. Guys, are so quiet today. All right. So she is going to walk out her victory. She was not going to be one of those individuals that is going to be a victim to her past. She was not going to be a slave to her past. Yes, she had this, these demons and she was possessed, but Jesus freed her. You know, I go through life many times meeting people who know Christ, and I'm like, didn't Christ deliver you from your past? Didn't Christ? And I want to encourage us, guys, for, you know, for those of you who are maybe still stuck in this area, I want to pray for you afterwards, the end of the service, for complete deliverance and, and a change of heart and mind. I think it's so important just to, to understand that Mary lived this life of resilience, saying that I'm not going to let my past define my future. My future is in Christ and that is the way I'm going to go. Another person as well, too. Let's take Moses. You know, let's take Moses. Pharaoh at that time, he was, um, he was killing babies, being having them thrown into the, the Nile River. Um, Moses' mother and her, his, his sister uh, put him into a basket, putting him into a crocodile-infested river. Wow, that must be really tough if that's your only option. But then Moses was raised in the house of the very person that was trying to kill him, Pharaoh. What happened to Moses? Look what he did. He didn't live this victim mentality. Oh, I was a baby in a basket with crocodiles. Oh. <laughs> no, he was, he, was, he, was, he was a victim, man. He, he stepped up. He stepped up at the, at the burning bush. God said, hey, Moses, you're going to deliver my people. He was like, oh, oh, hang on. I think you got the wrong guy here, Mo. No, he stepped up. He showed up. And same with Mary as well, too. She was not a victim of her past. Point number three. Point number three. She showed her work. In fact, she showed up to her work. All right? She showed up to her work. Most importantly, many times when you think about Mary Magdalene, you might think about Mary Magdalene. You might, oh, that's her last name. No, no, no. I just want to help you guys. And like Christ is not Jesus' last name either. That, that's, that's his title. Right? So if you guys were wondering, so my last name is Fori. Uh, but yeah, that's my last name. But Magdalene was not Mary's last name. So in those days, you know, it was Jesus of Nazareth. It was many times in association of where you came from uh, where, where, when you were referred to as, as someone. So Mary Magdalene came from a city called Magdala. All right, so this city was just a, a few miles away from Capernaum, which was also kind of Jesus' home base where him and his disciples did things. And uh, so this, this place, Magdala, was a very affluent, a very wealthy place. It was known as the dye and the textile area. It was like the fabric valley uh, of, of that day. And so there was a lot of wealth there. A lot of the economy from Magdala was because of what was happening in that city with the trade that was happening, the textiles and the dyes and so forth. And so um, in many parts of the gospel, Mary is referred to as um, Mary 
the Magdala, all right? So she was like, oh, hang on a second. Why does the Bible say that? And, uh, and she became very synonymous with the exports out of that city. She became very well known. And she saw a lot of, so a lot of success and, and affluence in Magda was because of Mary playing a role in, in that area. She, she, was, she was associated with that place. And so um, she, she would be, like if she was living in Malmö, she'd be living in Friedheim, Riversborg, where a house doesn't cost anything less than 10 million Swedish crowns. She lived in the penthouse in Magdala. She was like this very wealthy person. Now, you don't have the picture of her when I mentioned a little bit earlier when she had seven demons. You're probably thinking foaming at the mouth, you know, on heroin. She was probably under, you know, one of those, you know, under the uh, uh, living, living under some newspapers. Like when you think, oh, seven demons, no, that's what you think. No, 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 no. She, she, she was wealthy, man. She had, she, she was very, very well off. She was delivered. And... Um, so she, she wasn't one of these persons who was wondering where my next meal is going to come from. She was living large. She had a great life. And I, and I think that, and in that condition, she was also full of darkness. In that same condition, she was also full of darkness. And we tend to think that those who have made it, who have a lot of success in life, in some regard are immune to, to this area. But no, we all need Jesus in our life. And the truth is that many times people get to the top of those ladders. You hear about these corporate ladders or these ladders in your career you, you, uh, you, you climb, only to find that they put that ladder up against the wrong wall. Mm. Mm. Mary, it seems, had everything she, she wanted in this life, but she found out that she actually didn't have the thing that she needed. She found out that she had everything in this life but in fact, she needed something else. So whether a success, with these seven demons, someone said seven for each of the seven deadly sins, which is pride, inclusivity. So you think demon-possessed, and you think, yeah, again, foaming at the mouth. But that's not true. It could also be full of yourself. It could be that the enemy controls your heart. It could be you posting stuff on Facebook. It could be you gloating to your neighbor. Vanity. Lust, pride of life, all these things which is, 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 is came to do and touched her life. Changed her life. Changed her life completely. All of that wealth and the love of it led her to darkness. Led her to darkness. But when she met Jesus, all of that made her powerful in the light of Christ. She was able to use her resources to be able to subsidize and support the, uh, the ministry of Jesus. Point number four, uh, she showed the way to others. She showed the way to others. She showed the way uh, to others uh, to be able to, to yeah, in, in the same way that Jesus showed her. She shows up 14 times in the Bible, and eight of those times it shows where she's also in connection with other women as well too. She took these other women along with her and showed them the way. She showed them the way. There was Salome, there was the Mary, the mother of James, Susanna. So, so, so Mary Magdalene was this born leader. She was influential. She was charismatic. She had this magnetic personality. And she, 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 she basically used that influence to glorify God. She used that influence to touch other people. 
She showed the way. Johanna, which was one of the ladies in her cast of, of women with her, was um, also delivered of evil spirits and diseases. You know, Mary took her under her wing and, and, and was accompanying the 12 disciples as well too. She was there supporting as well. Johanna was the wife of Cusa, the, mari- the manager of Herod Antipas's household. Right, so back in those days, Israel was occupied by, by Rome. Right? And so uh, Rome made sure that there were a number of puppet kings in place all over their, over their kingdom that they conquered. Right? And so they were called Herods. And so this Herod, um, King uh, or Herod uh, Antipas, his father actually was the Herod that was trying to kill Jesus. Remember? That's why they escaped and went to Bethlehem. So this, this guy, King Herod Antipas, or sorry, this, this Herod Antipas, we had Cusa, right, whose wife was now a Jesus follower, who's now supporting Jesus' ministry. So the son of the guy who's trying to kill Jesus, he's actually supporting Jesus' ministry. How awesome is that? How crazy is that? Those finances are now being used to be able to support Jesus' ministry. The grandfather of the guy that was trying to kill Jesus. Incredible. Incredible. So, you know, so Johanna's home was very wealthy. You know, you could, you could imagine like if Kuzu, this guy, was managing the household, he would have been paid well. And so a lot of those finances were then used to be able to support Jesus' ministry. Johanna, she just knew that, hey, I need to support Jesus and what he's doing and be a part of the transformation in what took place in my life I want to see take place in other people's lives. She followed the way, and, and Jesus mentioned that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus' followers were nicknamed in those times as, as uh, those that follow the way, and so she followed the way. Point number five, she showed courage. She showed courage. Courage to, to show her face at the cross. All right, so if we read in the Word, we, we see that, Je- uh, that um, Jesus on the cross had a number of his followers standing in, at, at the foot of the cross. It was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, a number of other women, and the only disciple that found himself there was John. The rest of them, you don't see Peter there, you don't see Bartholomew, I doubt Thomas was there. So those, are, you know, those guys just simply didn't pitch. They were afraid that if they found themselves at the foot of the cross as well too, that they would be associated as accomplices of Jesus and that they too would find themselves on a cross next to him. So they were afraid. They locked themselves behind doors and they were afraid. But Mary, no, not Mary, she showed courage. She showed up. She was there at the foot of the cross looking at Jesus, crying, comforting Jesus' mother. She showed courage. She was courageous. She, she, I mean, she could have easily been you know, rounded up as well too, put on the cross as well next to Jesus. But she was fearless. She showed courage to be there. Point number six, she showed emotion. I think it's a powerful thing that such a strong leader, a CEO type, an alpha woman type, can also show emotion. She also was moved by emotion when she saw her maker on the cross. She was willing to be vulnerable, but also strong at the same time. This was Mary. She showed emotion. She wasn't afraid to cry cry publicly. She wasn't afraid to to show emotion, to shed tears of her maker, my Lord, 
being on the cross. She was connected emotionally. She was connected emotionally. Point number seven. All right, she showed her true colors. She showed her true colors. Crisis um, will reveal your true colors. Right? If you go through a crisis situation, it will reveal your true colors. Going through hardship, going through a storm doesn't change who you are. It reveals who you are. It reveals who you are. It doesn't change who you are. It reveals who you are. It exposes the reality of who you are. And for Mary, the worst day of her life, when she saw the very person that she served, she gave her life, being nailed to the cross, brutally murdered, she showed at her core that she was a disciple of Jesus. She was there at the foot of the cross to show how much she loves him. Let's take a, you know, she, she basically said, take away my, my finances, take away my connections, put me next to the cross, fine, I'll do that. That was, that was her attitude. Jesus changed her life. How does she get to a point where she's there at the foot of the cross saying what that she, she said and having this disposition that she has? Two words. She said, my Lord, my Lord. Band can come up as I, as I come to a close. My Lord. Hmm. Who is Jesus to you? is the most important question you will ever answer. She didn't say, the Lord, when she was at the grave. She said, my Lord, my Lord. These words, my, these words, my, these words, my Lord, have the capacity to change everything inside of you guys. These words, have the capacity to change you from the inside out. When you recognize Christ as not only the Lord, but as your Lord and Savior, it will change your life completely. When you hear the voice of the Lord, when Jesus heard, when Mary heard Jesus' voice at the grave, she fell to her knees, said, Rabbanai. He said, stand up, woman. Time has not come yet. I haven't gone to my father yet. You can't cling on to me. When she heard the voice of the Lord, she knew, wow, my Lord, my Lord. John 10, 27, the words aren't behind us, but says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They will follow me. She showed the way. She showed the way. She showed gratitude. She showed, she showed, she showed. What are these seven points I started off with? She showed. You can basically summarize by saying, she showed up. She showed up. Why did she get a front row seat at that great spectacle? It's because she showed up. She 
showed up. And that is the story of Mary's life. She showed up. She showed up with finances. She showed up with support. She showed up to help. She showed up to pray. She showed up to lead. She showed up to influence. She showed up. She knew what you and I need to know is that the show must go on. The show must go on. Guys, the mantle has been given to us to continue this great spectacle. When we declare Christ Lord and Savior of our life, yes, you may be saved. You may have prayed the sinner's prayer once upon a time. But my question is, have you made him Lord over your life? Have you completely surrendered all aspects of your life to him? Are you showing the way to your children? Are you showing the way to your colleagues? Are you showing the way to your friends? Are you showing the way to your connect group? Are you showing? The show must go on. We must not stop. We must not quit. Let's not get discouraged, guys. We might be tired many times. But I want to encourage us to continue with this great spectacle she declared him as my Lord. And I really believe that for all of us sitting here today, that when we declared Jesus Christ Lord of our lives, we're going to see something change and transform. We're going to experience that front row seat experience in the same way that Mary did. Every time we come and spend time in the Word in the mornings or in the evenings, whenever you do your devotions, every time you hear and worship and every time you listen and I really believe that you're going to encounter Christ. I want to encourage you this morning, again, for those who haven't quite taken that step of gratitude, haven't quite taken that step of resilience, taken that step of courage, I want to pray for you afterwards and I want to help you along the journey of discovering what it means to be a part of this spectacle, this great show that Jesus did for us by Standing up from the grave. Is that all right, guys? All right. You guys have been awfully quiet today. I guess it's probably the depth of my word this morning. <laughs> all right, guys. Hey, let's, let's stand up and let's, uh, let's continue to sing and praise the Lord this morning.